Good morning, my friend. I hope you are doing well. I am really, um, I'm just so excited about this episode that you're about to hear. I had an opportunity about two weeks ago to sit down via Zoom and talk to one of my very favorite writers, um, who is just a fascinating individual. Dr. Derwin Gray is here with us on the podcast today. Derwin Gray uh, is a former NFL player. Um, he's got an incredible story of growing up uh, as a as a child in inner city San Antonio uh, who stuttered and had a hard time even making the minimum score on the ACT to be able to accept the scholarship that he'd been offered to play football at BYU to becoming a, a well-known and very successful NFL player who then later became a Christian, who's now a pastor and author and internationally acclaimed speaker and leader. And just, he's got this incredible story. Before we get into Derwin's story, I want to tell you a different story because the story I'm about to tell you, I want you to use as kind of a filter to, to be primed to listen to some of the things that Dr. Gray says today as he explains his story to us. I have a a friend, he's passed away now, but Gordon Livingston was a psychiatrist who has written some really powerful books. The the best one is called Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart. And Gordon was a psychiatrist. He was on the podcast a few years ago. And the story about Gordon was that one of his sons committed suicide. And then 13 months later, his younger son, I think he was eight, died of leukemia. And so Gordon lost two sons in 13 months. And, the, and the, ter- the terrible part of that story was that the younger boy died as a result of complications from a bone marrow transplant. And Gordon was the donor. So, so Gordon donated bone marrow to try to save his son. And his son had an adverse reaction to the bone marrow transplant and died. So Gordon had not only the grief of losing two sons, but this sense of guilt that somehow he had been responsible for one of his son's deaths. And Gordon was openly an agnostic um, at different times in his life. He might have said atheist, but he was this sort of hopeful soul. And he had this notion, as he wrote about beautifully in Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart, he wrote this, what passed for hope for him was this this wish, this hope that he called it, but he never really called it faith, that he would be able to see his sons again, that maybe there was a God out there somehow who could let him see his sons again. And Gordon and I shared several emails back and forth as we were conversing about him being on my podcast. And here's something he wrote, and I just want to share this with you. And again, Derwin Gray is the subject of today, but I'm giving you this as kind of a setup because I think it's important, and I want you to see Derwin's story in the light of someone like Gordon Livingston. So here's what Gordon said. Dear Lee, Thank you for your kind letter. I really enjoyed our conversation. One of the many challenges of getting older is the anticipation of losing one's ability to connect with others, of becoming irrelevant. All of us want to hold on to a sense that we still have something useful to contribute. I'm really impressed by your online presence and your efforts to get people to think about the process of changing their lives. Now listen to this. I respect the strength and consolation that you draw from your faith. As I said in the interview, I think our motives for living as we do are much less important than the quality of the interactions we have with others, which really define us. All will be revealed in good time, and if there is a merciful God, I imagine he will be as generous in his judgments as we deserve. All best, Gordon. Catch that. 
if there is a merciful God. Here's Gordon who says in his book that he's hanging his hope, what little hope he can muster, on the fact that perhaps there's a God who can allow him to see his sons again, and that's all he could hold on to as he got older. Now, listen to Derwin's interview, this conversation with Derwin Gray, when he talks about, I asked him, what changed you from being this kid from the inner city who didn't have a good father figure, who didn't have great role models until you found some coaches, who had a stuttering problem, who wasn't a good student? What happened in your life that turned you into this powerful NFL player who becomes a Christian, who is transformed into this powerful public speaker and author and now holding a Ph.D. and, 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 and just incredible person his personal transformation what happened and what happened derwin said was he really found out that jesus was real that he submitted his life to the leadership of king jesus and he gave his weaknesses and frailties to jesus and jesus transformed them and that transformation is the story of derwin gray it's not that he was a great football player. It's not that he writes really amazing books. And you know, I'm a, I'm a reader, right? You hear me all the time recommending books. And if I tell you that I think somebody is a legit writer, like Derwin Gray is not getting books published because he played in the NFL. He is getting books published because he is a tremendous writer with deep insights that will help you reframe your thinking on several areas that you need to be shaped by. And I'm serious, like we talked about some things that are sort of hard for some of us to talk about. We talked about ethnicity and and racial tension and the divides in our society. And one of his books, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, really clarified some thinking for me on that on that topic. And Derwin just has has given me some insight. He's, He's an outstanding writer and great thinker. And so I wanted to give you that little setup about Derwin Gray because Gordon Livingston's story is that of a person who had a kind of a a wishful thinking type hope that never really transformed his life. And he was a sad, broken man in many ways. He continued to live and practice and did great things and wrote some great books and was really helpful. And I, and I love his writing. But he, at the end of his life, was still really sad and just sort of wishful that he might get to see his sons again. Derwin is living his life in the full power and authority of Jesus Christ, and he is showing us what it looks like to be transformed, to be redeemed. And he said in another podcast that I listened to, he said, when Jesus redeemed me, he redeemed me all the way. He redeemed my speech. He redeemed my intellect. He redeemed my abilities. He redeemed my hope and my faith and my happiness. And this story that I'm about to share with you with Derwin Gray is is exactly that. It's a story of transformation and hope and purpose. And as we're hitting episode 100 here of season seven, we're going to go into season eight of the Dr. Lee Warren podcast tomorrow with 100 doses of hope as we get close to my book launch for Hope is the First Dose that's coming out July 25th. The, the whole season eight is about how we grab and hold on to hope when these massive things happen in our lives. And Derwin's got a story of massive things that have happened in his life and massive transformation. And that, my friend, is what it looks like when you find the treatment plan that Jesus offers. And hope is the first dose. Derwin is a great example of somebody who changed their minds and changed their lives through the power of Jesus Christ, through grabbing on to hope and never letting it go. I asked Derwin to pray for us before we get started. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you would you be as kind to magnify Jesus? 
for all that he's worth, all that he's done, all of who he is. For he is the image of the invisible God. Would you glorify the Father in this conversation that you would use technology to touch hearts and draw people deeper into life in Christ? And even those who are yet to discover Christ, they would discover him. So have your will and have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friend, grab you some coffee or plug your headphones in and get on the treadmill or do whatever you're doing. But get ready for an incredible introduction to a person whose life has been transformed. And he is a living example of what Jesus Christ can do in our hearts. Derwin had to change his mind before he could change his life. And Lisa's about to tell us the good news. And that is that all of us can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Friend, we're back, and I am so excited to introduce you to a new friend of mine. Dr. Derwin Gray is here with us on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gray. I am excited to be with you. Uh, you know, I, I just want to know how's your medulla oblongata and, and your listeners, how's the medulla oblongata going? Well, if they can move their arms and legs and breathe, it's probably okay. So thank God for creation and, and all of that. <laughs> and, uh, we're so grateful. I just, I, I gotta tell you, I've, I've been in this Derwin Gray zone for like the last, uh, four or five weeks. I've read all of your books except for, Hero, is that right? The first one? Yeah. Um, it's the only one I haven't read. Um, and wow. I, I just, I've gotten to know you over Twitter over the last year and uh, the listener won't know this, but we were scheduled to talk in February of 2022 and it got canceled because of my patients of medulla oblongata. I had brain surgery to do that day. And, and it's just taken a year, almost a year and a half to get us back together and. Um, just so grateful that you have the, a little bit of time to spend with us today, Dr. Gray. Thank you. I'm going to call you Derwin if that's okay. Yeah, Derwin, Derwin is awesome. Thank you. It's, it, it's such an honor and, and, and privilege. And, uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated. And I think why I enjoy following you on, on social me- me- media is like to be a doctor is you're literally like the hands and feet of Christ. And then specifically, when we think about the brain and the complexity and the beauty of the brain, it is the greatest computer that the world has ever known or will ever know. I don't care what AI is about to do. The brain is simply astonishing. And the one thing that I do remember from physiology is 
the medulla oblongata controls the things that you don't even have to think about, like your breathing and your right. moving. And then, and then as you, as you learn and grow about, learn about brain health, like the brain is an organ. Yeah. Um, the brain can be rewired in your thoughts. And so Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, uh, I appreciate you, um, equally and, uh, yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm going to, I have already given the listener here your bio, but just give us a, give us a 90 second spot on Derwin Gray's life. And, and, uh, let's just get into it by telling in your own words, like what you're all about. There's, there's three things we have in common that you might not know besides the fact that we both hold doctorates and we're both, uh, children of the King is that we both, um, are from San Antonio. I spent eight years of my life there and three of my four kids live there now. Um, I didn't grow up in San Antonio, but the military took me there and I met my wife there and, and all that. Two, um, we love to fish. Both of us love to fish. So I got to have you out to our place because we have northern pike and largemouth bass and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and three, we both love football and uh, particularly college football. So let's hear who Darwin Gray is for just a minute from your perspective. Yeah, I'm the husband of Vicky for 31 years. I'm Papa to Presley, who's 26 years old. Papa to Jeremiah who's 22 years old. I have the honor and privilege to being the co-founder, along with my wife, of a beautiful Jesus-centered, gospel-shaped, multi-ethnic church in the Indian land, South Carolina area, which is basically greater Charlotte. I love Jesus. I love people. I love the church. I love reaching the lost. Uh, for some reason, God has seen fit to take a kid who scored a 16 on his ACT to make him a New Testament scholar, a kid who used to hate to read books, who's now an author of many books, and a kid that used to be a compulsive stutterer uh, to now speak around the country and to speak around the world. And so uh, football was very foundational to my life. Football opened up doors, and now I see that my football career – was uh, a pathway for God to mold me and shape me to who I am now. Uh, football is never meant to be a career. Football is simply a op- football is not an old man's game. Yeah, <laughs> and and right. and I did not want my twenties to be the most exciting part of my life. So <clears throat> that's that's kind of who I am. Is I love Jesus. I'm head over heels in love with my wife. I love my kids. I love the church I get to serve. And I have a burden for the entire world to know Jesus and to embody his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's that's beautiful and fascinating. And, I, I you know, it, it's amazing that you played in the NFL and it's amazing that you've done all these things that you've done. But the, the reason I'm such a big Derwin Gray fan is because of your passion for Christ. I mean, you you went from being a, a kid from San, inner city San Antonio to being on the biggest stages in the world and then being humbled by Christ, <laughs> as you talked about in the good life. Right. And then now you're now you're an ambassador for the kingdom. And and I just mm-hmm. I, I commend you for, for the journey that you've taken. I commend our father for mm-hmm. the journey that he's put you on. Well, and, and you know, it's kind of one of these things. Uh, Lee is, you know, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter in Matthew 16 is like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, where else can I go for eternal life? And so one of the blessings 
of achieving a lot at a very un, at a very early age is it dawns on you that it's mm-hmm. empty, it's vanity without Christ. And That's so right. I know it's hard for people to understand that, but but let me let you peek into my world just a little bit. So when you build your life on what you do, you know that one day you're not going to be able to do what it is that you do. So as a football player, your whole life, my whole life was predicated upon if you do good at this, if you do good at this, if you play this and everything was if, 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 do, do, do. But then my third year in the NFL, I'm 25 years old and I'm going, hold on a second. I got the girl. I got the Lexus. I got the career. I'm a team captain. I literally was three seconds away from playing in the Super Bowl and we lost. I've got fame. I'm able to help my family. But here's what I don't have. I don't have security because the mm-hmm. NFL stands for not for long. So everything <laughs> that I built, everything that I built my life on could be taken away like that. What I mm-hmm. didn't have was my father. Uh, brain health and addiction stole my dad. And yes, God used many men to fill the gap, but I could not imagine not being a father to my son. Mm. And so there was always this void. There was there was sexual abuse. There was generational trauma. Um, there were a lot of things. But when I heard about this good news, that there is a God who goes, no, you don't have to perform for me because you can't. I came and I performed the greatest performance of all. And I think this is really important for Christians to hear. And those of those who are listening who may not be is Jesus did more than down across. So for 33 years, Jesus lived what's called the Torah or the Ten Commandments perfectly because you and I couldn't. So when he came to earth, He stands in our place to give us grace. And he says, hey, Father, the life they couldn't live, I'm living. And then on the cross, substitutes himself for us, that not only is there forgiveness, but God declares us to be as righteous as Jesus. He sees us as though we live the life that Jesus lived. For a person like me, whose whole life was built on what they do, when I heard that, it melted my heart. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, when Jesus rose from the dead, he not only secured that death would be defeated and that we would live in a new heavens, new earth, but the very power that raised Christ from the dead was now living in me. I, I became a new person, a new way of seeing myself, and I'm still on this journey of exploring the limitless of God's grace and mercy. And then he puts you in a big old family where you get to talk to brothers and sisters. And some of us are brain doctors, which I think is so much cooler than being a football player, by the way. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's why I'm passionate about Christ because I've tasted literally the world, the best that the world has to offer. And it's not as sweet as Jesus. Amen. And you said something in there. You, you talked about your father a little bit and, and just for some background. So my podcast is the, the people listening largely are people who are going through or have gone through something really painful in their life. It, we started this after our son died at 19 mm. in, in 2013. 
And mm. it really just was kind of a way to minister mm. to our family. And that grew into this and mm. writing books and, and all that. Um, and so, so people listening, Derwin, are going through or have been through these hard things. Mm. And you talk so beautifully in one of your books, uh, God, Do You Hear Me?, um, about your father wound and, and some of the people mm-hmm. listening have those wounds. Like to talk for a second mm-hmm. about, about that sort of woundedness and how it's hard to relate to God, the father, and then tell us the good news of what happened with your real dad. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the first time one of my teammates, his name was Steve Grant, but his nickname was a naked preacher because he would be around the locker room half naked with his Bible asking people, <laughs> do you know Jesus? And so one of the first times he said, you know, Oh, God, the father loves you. It was like, like, what do you like? What do you mean? Because I had overlaid my earthly father onto my heavenly father. And so that idea mm. that that a father could love me was foreign. And so that was a mischaracterization of who God is. Right. Yeah. But as I got to know <laughs> Jesus, because to see Jesus is to see the father. He's the image mm-hmm. of the invisible God, the son of God comes in human flesh to reveal the face of who God is. God doesn't have a body. That's a a metaphorical term for like, like you can actually know God. Right. And and so once I got to know Jesus and his grace and his mercy began to penetrate my heart, um, this is about 2001, 2002. And I'm writing letters to family and friends just saying, Hey, Man, let me tell you, Jesus forgave me. He, he died for me. He loves me. He can do the same for you. I just wanted everybody to know that they could know Christ. And I heard a voice and I don't know if it was God's voice or my voice, but the voice said, find your father. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew is I was cussing. <clears throat> I was screaming. I was crying. I had stepped back into all those years of hurt and pain because of what I perceived as abandonment. Mm. So it was like, it was like God allowed me to have a temper tantrum. And it's like, he scooped me up on his lap and said, son, I know it hurts. Yeah. Your, your father, your, your, your father did abandon you. Your father did hurt you. And you're right. He doesn't deserve you going to find him. But never forget, you don't deserve my son, Jesus, going to find you. Wow. He found and forgave you so you can find and forgive him. And I didn't like that. No. Um, but, the, but, but the reality is God's grace doesn't ask me what I like. It tells me what's best for me. And when I believe what's best for me, then I begin to like what he says what's for me. Wow. So eventually I found out he was in prison in Texas and uh, I wrote him a letter and a little time went by and I got a letter back. And uh, when I saw it was from him, I immediately went to my office and I was trembling. I was crying. I didn't know what it was going to say, but I had resolved myself to saying, even if he says, what do you mean? You know, you forgive me and you love me and you want a relationship with me. What did I do? Even if he rejected me, I had resolved myself that in Christ, the father's love was enough. So I opened up the letter. I had to wipe away tears. And um, he said words I'd never heard him say before. Uh, He started out. He said, son, thank you for forgiving me. I want to be a part of your life. I want to know my Mm. grandkids life. 
and I want you to know that I love you. And I had never heard my dad say, I love you. And wow. man, I I just wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. Mm. Um, now, was it a perfect relationship? Of course not. Um, my father uh, had years of um, substance abuse. Uh, I'm quite sure he probably had some mental health issues, which mm. a lot of people with mental health issue, issues go to substance abuse to, to cope, whatever it was. As an adult, I could forgive him, but forgiving him didn't mean that everything was perfect. It meant that I was no longer held hostage to a past. Wow. I was no longer held hostage. And, um, you know, so, so we had a, we had a cordial loving relationships, uh, at a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> My son and daughter, when they were young, played checkers against grandpa and they love that and so uh he's 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 passed away but but we reconciled so mm. so here's a so here's a couple of things that that I want to say the first thing uh Dr. Lewis Smeeds was correct when someone forgives someone gets set free from prison and that someone is you wow so 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 I was set free from the pain and trauma of the past that's one to be set free means you no longer rent space in my mind for free. That's one. Uh, number two, and I want the listeners to he- hear me very, very important. Um, number two, when you come to Jesus, you are not a victim anymore. Mm. You are victorious. Romans 837 says, no, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen. How how long am I going to let something in the past affect me in the present? It's going to continue to affect me, even though it may have happened once, like me being sexually abused as a child. When do I say what happened to me was evil and wrong and hurtful, but that's not going to define me. What's going to define me is the resurrection life of Jesus. Now, I say that strongly, and I hope people hear my compassion, because we live in a culture now, even for Christians, is we live in a culture that says, you've been hurt, you're the victim, and everybody owes you. That's right. Instead of saying, No, I refuse to allow my point of pain to become my point of reference for my life. And then we filter everything through those things. Um, I was in a conversation with someone years ago and I was speaking normally and they said, well, I'm triggered because you have a man's voice. Yeah. And, you know, you give empathy, you give compassion but I have triggers too. Yeah. But, but, but my triggers don't allow me to pull out my metaphorical gun and shoot you with pain from my past. That's Mm. why I have the Holy spirit's power. And that's why there's therapists. That's why there's counselors. Like, like I love the fact that you said this podcast started out of pain. Yeah. 
And, and and so Donald Miller said something that I thought was was really good. Is he said when you look at a villain and a hero in a movie, their origin story is the same. They yeah. both have been hurt. The villain says the world hurt me. I'm going to hurt the world. The hero says the world hurt me. I'm going to heal the world. That's right. And in Christ, we are not villains. We serve a hero. And the pain of the past shapes me to bury my pain in the wounds of Christ. So I'm no longer held hostage to what took place. And so I'm, I'm, I'm getting concerned that We sit in our pain and then we invite others into our pain instead of saying, man, we've been hurt and there's a healer and his name is Christ. Amen. Man, y'all thought we were listening to a podcast. So we're getting some gospel today. I love it. I'm going to call a technical or a personal foul there because you made me cry on my own podcast. (laughs) So beautiful, man. Listen, so you, you said so I heard a podcast that you did. It was um, unbelievable, I think, um, one of the ones that N.T. Wright is associated with. And you told this story and you referenced it tangentially a second ago of how you grew up and you had a, a little bit of a speech impediment. And you stuttered and you, you ne- and, and, and you look today in your life and you're a pastor and you write books and you've you got a doctorate and all these things. So mm-hmm. what happened in your life? That turned you from that that kid who couldn't speak in public to this guy that has written some of the most powerful books I've ever read. Like, what happened uh, to you? Yeah. Okay. So the first part of the answer, you're gonna you're gonna be like, oh, here comes the fifth grade kid in Sunday school. The right answer is always Jesus. So so I'm gonna give you that answer, and then I'm gonna unpack it. Is I met Jesus. Uh, I met the resurrected King the one who sits at the right hand of the father, who intercedes and prays and who indwells, who lives and loves me. Okay. So here's what happened, Lee, is my whole life, I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. And I can still remember 1977, Star Wars comes out. There's Boba Fett. And I say Boba Fett to my friends, but I go, Bo, 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 Bo. And man, back in the day, there was no such thing as bullying, right? Like you go home, hey, Granny, these kids are talking to me. They're talking bad about me. It's like, well, why are you listening to them? But anyway, so I didn't talk to girls. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't talk much. And then in 10th grade in French class, which for the life of me, I'll never understand why living in San Antonio, Texas, I took French. (laughs) Instead of Spanish, duh, I have no idea why. Um, but anyway, we had to do an oral examination and I was the last one and I walked out of class and the teacher was gracious enough to let me take the French oral examination alone because it was so painful. And I don't remember her name, but I'm grateful. Mm. So all throughout college, my interviews from college after games is painful. So here's what happened, Lee, is when I met Jesus, I began to see myself as though someone God loved. Mm. So, 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 so the way I saw myself, despite my NFL career, was this. 
I'm the poor black kid from the worst house in the worst neighborhood. Mm. My friends would laugh at my house. I would invite my friends to my house. Our house tilted to the side. I thought it was normal that everybody had walls infested with roaches. Mm. Our heater was the stove. Um, I shopped at a store called Hand Me Downs, where my big cousin handed me down his clothes. Yeah. Um, I didn't take baths when I was young because our uh, our uh, uh, um, uh, tub was so gross, and so I saw myself as this poor kid whose dad was never around. And then the other thing too, and this is this is really important as we talk about brain health and tra- 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 trauma violence produces so much stress on the body that releases yeah. cortisol. Like when That's I was right. home as a kid, I always had asthma. There was always stress. Like I literally saw relatives put guns in each other's face. Mm. I re- I remember in ninth grade, Lee, we're at practice at a school called Fox Tech and it's in downtown San Antonio. It doesn't exist anymore. We're practicing. All of a sudden we hear pop, 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 pop gunshots and we look across the street and two men are shooting at each other so that goes on for about 20 seconds they stop and guess what we do we go back to practice wow. that's not normal no that's not normal you know and so mm. then you're dealing with uh an older boy in the neighborhood um um sexually sexually molested me and so i'm like why mm. in the world would any parents allow a 16 a six-year-old to hang out by themselves with a 15 year old, what 15 year old boy in their right mind are going to hang out with a six, six, six year old. So there was anger. There was anger about, about that stuff. So despite being an NFL player, despite all this stuff on the outside, I had 4% body fat and I was a world professional athlete, but on the inside, I was still a sixth grader trying to find his locker. Mm -hmm. So when I meet Jesus, I meet someone for the first time who says, I see all of you and I love you. Mm. I meet someone who who says, not only are you forgiven, but you're my righteousness. You're my friend. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So my brain patterns begin to change that I began to see myself through how God saw me. And when that began to happen, I literally would think through this process. If God loves me, if God says I'm valuable, then what I say matters. And if what I say matters, then I don't have to be afraid. And so literally right now I've trained myself that when I'm talking to you, I'm saying it once in my mind and then once out of my mouth, but it's all rooted in loving myself correctly because of who I am in Christ. And so even in my early NFL days, when I would travel back home to Texas, when the airplane would say, we're getting ready to send into San Antonio, my face would just start to twitch. I had no idea that was a trauma response. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so as a former NFL player, I knew this. If I knew the playbook, I could play really good. Well, God has a playbook. It's wow. called the Bible. And specifically, if I knew what God says about me in Christ, that changes me. And Uh, so 
my speech therapist was my new identity in Christ. Wow. That's amazing. So, I mean, the phrase you said on the podcast was just exactly what you just described. You said when God redeemed you, he redeemed all of you. He redeemed your speech and your heart and your pain and your trauma. I just, I love that so much because it's the, it's the gospel, right? This is the gospel story and it's not platitudes. I mean, this really happened to you. This really happened. And, um, people, people will say things like, uh, you know, pastor, you know, I just really hope you stay humble. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I? First of all, it's Jesus's gospel. It's his word. It's the Holy Spirit's power. It's the Holy Spirit's gifts. And even the ability to talk is a function of Christ. That's right. So when I, so when I preach and when I teach or whatever I do, it's an act of gratitude and worship because it doesn't have to be that way. That's right. I say, man. So, so earlier you talked about your church a little bit, Transformation Church. And by the way, I watched a few of your sermons and you're not just a tremendous writer, but you can preach, my friend. Um, oh, thank you. I, I can't, I hope someday we get to visit there and worship with you. But, um, you, you talked about the way that you describe your church as being a multi-ethnic church. And a lot of people will hear that and they'll say, well, there's, there's Asians and there's black people in my church. There's white people <laughs> in my church. What does that mean when you say multi-ethnic church? What, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So, uh, let me give you the theological foundations first because that's really important. Um, Jesus said this, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The word yep. nations there is a Greek word, ethnos, and it means all people groups. So that's not just across the sea. That's across the street. So wherever right. our church is, we want to be intentional with reaching everyone uh, so that they can know Christ. And so our church being multi-ethnic means that we have a multiplicity of different ethnic groups that are part of our church. And we believe that this is important. One, because Jesus said to go do it. Two, um, God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, Abraham, in Genesis 12, through you, I'm going to give you a family made up of all the ethnicities of the earth. And so the local church is to be a place where that family gathers together and then scatters together on mission. But in our gathering, we are growing, we're learning, we're loving, we're serving in our scattering. We're about justice and mission. And so the local church is to be a foretaste of what the new heavens and new earth is going to be. And according to Revelation 5, uh, 8 through 10, the new heavens and new earth is going to be every nation, tribe and tongue around King Jesus ruling and reigning as his kingdom of priests. Sociologically, what that means is this, is when you get people who are different in the same space, they begin to see through each other's eyes. One of the reasons why there's so much division in our country is we're so fractured and starting with the church. I'm a pastor, right? So my thing is, if the church of Jesus Christ is not unified along ethnic lines, how in the world can we expect our country to be? Our church should be, the church should be a beacon of hope. Our church should be a lighthouse in the storm so people can see. The church in Christ should be a compass that people go, that's the way to go. And Jesus is very clear, by your unity, the world will know the father sent me and by your love for each other, the world will know you're my disciples. So being a multi-ethnic church 
is about love, unity, and mission. Wow. That's, that's exactly right. And you talk about in how to heal our racial divide um, brilliantly. When people say, why do you talk about race so much? And you say, because that's the story of the New Testament. I mean, that's <laughs> the, the whole story of the early church is about eth- ethnic divide and how Jesus came to fix that. So talk yeah. about, about that book and, and why yeah. it's so important and what we can learn from what we can learn from that book. And, and, and we'll talk about your other books in a minute, but I think that's, we just yeah. Start there. yeah. So I'll, I'll start with a way of illustration from time to time. And it's usually from Christians who <clears throat> are white and they'll be new to our church and they'll like it and go, pastor, we got a question. Why do you talk about race all the time? Like, man, just, just, just talk about the gospel. And so tongue in cheek, I'll say, you know what? You're, you're right. I'm going to stop talking about race. So you know what that, that means? It means that the Israelites were not held as slaves in Egypt. It means that the Israelites, when they got set free by God, did not deal with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Preservites. They didn't get taken into captivity by the Babylonians and they are not, they were not under Roman occupation. And the woman at the well was not a Samaritan. And at the end of the Bible, there's no every nation, tribe and tongue. So yeah, I'm going to stop talking about race and we have no Bible. The story of the Bible is a loving God who wants to unite the human race unto himself and to each other. And what, and what divides us? Sin. Jesus comes to reconcile the world unto himself and to each other. But what we do, even as Christians, we place our ethnicity before our Christus. I can give you several examples. So, Rwanda and the genocide. Rwanda was held as a great Western missionary accomplishment. The Hutus and the Tutsis were Christians, <laughs> but they were Hutu and Tutsi first, not yeah. Christian. That's right. And so a lot of times, whatever we modify before Christian is what we lead with. So I'm a conservative Christian. I'm a, no, no, no. We are followers of Jesus. And we are brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters look not only for their don't look for their own selfish need and ambitions. We live out of and for the glory of God by serving each other. And so I wrote how to heal our racial divide to give a biblical, theological, gospel centered presentation of how we as the church can heal the racial divide. And Lee. Unfortunately, I think I'm coming to the place where I think people like like to talk about, tweet about, put on Instagram how much they're into racial reconciliation, but they're not really wanting to roll up their sleeves to do it. Yeah, I think you're right. You know that I I read that book. So I have a, I have a friend on Twitter. Um, well, you know how that is. I, I've never met him in real life. He's a guy that I know on Twitter. And we got, we connected with each other because he had two sons who passed away and he watched his mm. two sons drown, which is just terrific. Mm. I lost one son and I can't imagine two, two sons. And, and, and he, um, is African American and he, um, during 2020, like a lot of us did, got worked up about a lot of things. And I wrote to him and said, Hey, share some books with me 
that I can read so I understand your perspective. Um, and one of those books was White Fragility, which I read. And mm-hmm. and the punchline of that book is if you're white, you're a racist. And if you don't think you're a racist, that's evidence that you're a racist and, and all this stuff. And I just I was confused. I didn't know what to do. And then I read your book and I read Esau Macaulay's book, um, Reading While Black. And I learned so much from you, Derwin. Um, and you never knew it, but I learned and it's biblical and it's God centered and it's right. And you made these points about progressive Christians and conservative Christians and black people and white people and people of color all have different ways in which we sin. And, and we now, we have to be reconciled under the blood of Christ or none of us are right. And so talk about that for a minute. Like you, you write about yeah. it a lot and it's, it's beautiful and it's exactly the attitude we need to have. Yeah. Um, so what I will say is I think that when we've lost confidence in the gospel, because we've never really heard it preached as a way for ethnic reconciliation, even though that's the primary thrust of all of Paul's letters, yeah. is we forfeit and go to sociology first. So the idea that the starting place is, well, if you don't think you're racist, then you are. Um, that's not a good place to start. Let's let's start with this. Let's start with Ephesians 2.1. We're all born spiritually dead and yeah. we need to be reborn. Yeah. Let's also start with this, that America's only been a country. We haven't even been a country that long. There's there's cheeses in Europe that's older than the United States of America. That's right. So, so I think it's really important that we don't define and filter the Bible through a 300 year old country. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to understand that the atrocity and the evil of slavery is not just an American invention. That's right. Uh, ever since the Garden of Eden, We've been oppressing and enslaving and brutalizing each other. So the point is to understand that the problem that we need to address is sin, but also systemic injustice. So let me give you an example. Um, do you remember in school, uh, elementary school, you'd, you'd, you'd go in, you'd sit at a desk, and if you were right-handed, the desk was made for you. Yep. Because you're right-handed. And I'm well, a lefty. If you're, and, if, and if you're a lefty, you you still wrote on the desk, but it was just harder because the desk was not made for you. That's so right. people like so people like me with right hands had right privilege. When the desk was made, it was made for people who have right hands. People with left hands, you could still write. It was harder. When you yeah. look at the history of the United States of America, white people were central and dominant. Case in point, look at Native Americans, look at slavery. Yeah. Women couldn't vote. Think about voting for African Americans. So <clears throat> does that mean that every white person should be guilty? Of course not. What it does mean is we look back and go, wow, that was unjust. And on my watch, that won't happen Again. That's right. That's right. And so and so we have to be mindful that racism as a construct deals with which ethnic group has the most political power. Prejudice is individualistic. So the worst prejudice I've ever experienced 
was from my black teammates with the Indianapolis Colts in 1993. They were prejudiced towards my wife and I because she is white. Does that does that does that make make sense? Yeah, and, it does. And, and so, yeah, systemic injustice is a real thing. And as as yes. believers, we should all <clears throat> want to discuss that. Like like case in point, and I'm sure you see this in the medical community and medical. Like, man, people with better insurance, you're going to get taken better care of. Absolutely. Um. So, uh. I think that white brothers and sisters have been justices. And so when they're brought up, it's kind of like, well, what do you mean? So let me give an example. Um, This is when Colin Kaepernick was in the NFL and which by the way, he's been vindicated on so many ways with racism within the NFL from coaching practices and hiring practices. I don't agree with everything that he did, but the man was using his platform to talk about police brutality. You can be pro-police and pro-police reform simultaneously like I am. I love the police. Man, we don't need to defund the police. We need to train the police better, right? Uh, But we also need to acknowledge that there are bad actors, just like they're bad pastors. We need to acknowledge there's bad systems, bad processes. Nevertheless, Uh, I was in a conversation with a white brother in Christ, and it kind of went this way. Uh, Basically, hey, uh, when I see NFL players take a knee, you know, it's offensive to me because my grandfather fought in World War II. What do you have have to say about about that? Number one, I say, I'm thankful your grandfather fought in World War II. That's awesome. Hitler and Italy and Japan and what they were trying to do was evil. I'm glad he fought. I said, now keep in mind too, the 1.2 million black GIs fought in World War II. So they fought in Nazi racist Germany only to come back to racist America. That's right. And 1.2 million black GIs did not get the GI Bill. So white GIs got the GI Bill and you know what they got? They got the modern day suburban housing boom and the way you get equity and finances generationally is through land and housing. They got their colleges paid for. They got land. And you know what black folks got? They got inward. You sit in the back of the bus. That's right. You know what they got? They got the the Tuskegee experiment where they were injected with syphilis and all types of things. So I, I said, so when you think about your white granddad who fought in World War II, think about the black people fought in World War II as well. And it was just silence. It's like, you know what? I've never thought of that. Well, that's what it means to grow as a person. Don't think just in terms of people who look like you. Think in terms of the world. Yeah, that's right. I heard a similar story from my friend Willie Franklin. I don't know if you know Willie. Um, He was an NFL player who married a white woman uh, and then became a Christian. He had a very similar story to yours and became a traveling preacher. I met him when I was a kid and he came around and taught us a lot. And and he said the same thing. The most difficult time he ever had around race was from his colleagues um, about who he married. And, and I, I think your, your point is incredibly spot on that too many of us that have had it easy and the system's been built for us have a hard time acknowledging that that's true. Mm-hmm. And so the, the different, the, the way you parsed it out between the system being designed a certain way and an individual not having certain attitudes is important. And your book is helpful there. And I'm glad that you wrote it and I'm glad that I read it and I'm grateful 
to have an opportunity to hear from you today, Derwin, about that. Um, what else that you've written would you say is the next most important thing for somebody who's listening to read? Like, What work are you most um, proud of right now that somebody should pick up and read? You know, I think the book currently that I think may actually be my best book is God, Do You Hear Me? Mm -hmm. Uh, Learning the Prayer That God Always Answers. And I wrote God, Do You Hear Me? Because people, what I have found is people ask a lot about prayer, but what they really want to know is how can I pray to get what I want? Yeah. And so um, I just want to say this. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about meeting God and becoming the person he created you to be. And so and so Jesus was like, when you pray, pray like this. Like he literally tells us this is how you pray. Not like a suggestion. That's right. But yet and still, when we pray uh, and I say this humbly, I say this respectfully and I could be wrong. It's a generalization. So I preemptively repent. I don't I don't think a lot of us pray. I think a lot of us bring a wish list to God and demand that he answer. That's right. Because when you truly look at prayer, when you look at the Lord's prayer, Jesus has given us a template. And so it starts with our father. Notice it doesn't start with give me this. I want this. It starts with our father. Well, who is the father? Who are you praying to? Why are you praying to the father? There's a whole theology of who the father is. And then it moves into you are holy, meaning you're not ordinary. You're transcendent. You're beautiful. You're good. And then it moves into your kingdom come, your will be done. What is God's kingdom? What is God's will? Every one of the line, and then it goes on to give us this day, our daily bread, forgive us our sins, we feel those sin against us, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil, right? When you go through every line of the Lord's prayer, it's actually a reflection of the life that Jesus lived. Wow. And the life that Jesus lived is the life that God wants to give us. Wow. It's, it's a powerful book. Um, I, I spent, like I said, the last couple of weeks, doing kind of a deep dive in your work and and without hyperbole. So no exaggeration here. Limitless Life is probably the best book on Christian identity I've ever read. Like get the labels off of you that the enemy put on you and figure out what Jesus says about you. The Good Life is in the top five books about what the Christian life really is and the difference between achieving happiness through secular means and achieving the life we're designed to have. God, do you hear me? In the top four books on prayer I've ever read, Philip Yancey, Richard Foster, Addison Bevere's new book, Words with God, Timothy Keller, Derwin Gray, right Mm -hmm. there. I mean, God gave you a gift as a writer and as a pastor. And it's stunning to me that the the ground you've covered as a redeemed child of the king. And if that doesn't give you hope, listener, friend, if, if you don't have hope that God can change the situation that you're in, and redeem you. And when he redeems you, he can turn you in to somebody like Derwin Gray, who, by the way, also has a hilarious YouTube series of the evangelism <laughs> linebacker. It reminds me of Terry Tate. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes because people need to see that, Derwin. 
it's hilarious and it's awesome that you did that. Um, <laughs> going around knocking people out for not being willing to share the gospel with them. How'd that come about, by the way? Oh my gosh. So in 2004, I got a call from some people in Montana and they're like, Hey, we're filming some videos for Campus Crusade for Christ. We've seen Terry Tate, the office linebacker. We want to develop a character called the evangelism linebacker. And we think you'd be perfect. I said, well, what do I get to do? They said, well, you get to tackle people who don't evangelize. I said, I'm in. I'm in. So basically, we filmed that in 2004. For the evangelism linebacker, we had no script. I made up everything right on the spot. And of all of the evangelism linebacker videos we've we done, the original was by far the best. Like we should have stopped at that one. There was, there was no lines. It was authentic. It was funny. And people still to this day will say, Hey, I know that was meant to be funny, but it gave me an urgency to go share my faith. And, uh, Lee, what's interesting is, um, I'm actually, I just signed a book contract with NAF Press to write a book called Scent. And the subtitle is A Biblical Vision of Christian Evangelism. And the impetus behind it is about six months ago, I found out that 4,500 churches per year close in the United States of America. Wow. And I'm like, man, we've got to do something. Someone's got to do something. I sense the Holy Spirit said, well, you do something. And so I'm writing a book to help pastors, particularly pastors of smaller churches and Christians who are passionate about sharing their their faith is I want to give, why do we share our faith? What is the content of this gospel? And what are the barriers to overcome? The barriers to overcome are fear of rejection, fear of not knowing. And so I really want to write a resource that is beautiful, that we fall in love with Christ, that we understand what we're communicating. And then lastly, what I'll say is this. We need to move when when we share our faith, Lee, we need to move from being a used car salesman to an orphan who's been adopted by a good father and you're inviting people over for dinner to meet. Wow. It's you're inviting people over to meet the father who is so good because there are so many people that are hurting and they ultimately think the creation is going to heal them instead of the creator of the creation. Amen. Wow. Made me cry twice on my own podcast, man. That's 15 yards. <laughs> you did it twice. Listen, I, I promised you 45 minutes or so. We're almost at an hour, so I respect your time. And I'm going to let you go. But somebody listening, um, in fact, I got an email this morning. My friend Arthur Moy is an African-American man. He's a pastor in Beatrice, Alabama. Um, his sister died yesterday. Um, they're going to be burying mm. him this week, and he asked for prayer. Somebody else listening today is in the hardest thing they've ever been through, Darwin. Just as a pastor, give us a little little bit of light and hope that somebody can take out of this message as we wrap things up here today. Yeah. First things that I would do is, uh, if I could, I would give you a big old hug, and I would sit with you, and I would cry with you. Mm. 
Matthew 5, 4 says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That's right. As Americans, we try to run out of the pain too fast. Yeah. Sitting, sitting in the pain does several things. One, it brings us into the emotions of the person that we love. It should hurt when you lose someone you love. Two, it brings us to the reality of what does that mean for me? How much more time do I have? And then three, it moves us to a place of is there anyone who's done anything about this hurt that we see? Mm. And then lastly, Jesus steps up and he says, not only do I know how you feel, but I have felt everything that everyone has ever felt when I went to the cross. Wow. That all of the sin, all of the pain, all of the evil, all the suffering did its best to me. And when I got up on the third day, I undone death. Mm. That one day sad things will become untrue, but until then, I'm with you. And I'll turn your pain into purpose. Amen. Wow. Beautiful. I believe Dur- that. I do too. Derwin Gray, love it. And I'm I'm grateful for you and your time. Um, and please, when your book is ready to come out, I would love to have you back on the show to talk about it. Um, Let's do it. You to, and endorse, help you get the word out, whatever you need. Um, I'm here for you. We're going to come worship with you someday, my friend. Hey, let's do it. And we'll go fishing and everything. And then like, maybe you could like operate on my cerebellum while you're here. Maybe pick so. some things up there. <laughs> I'll, take a, I'll take a picture of your medulla oblongata for you. <laughs> Darwin Gray, right. love you. Proud of you. Love Thank you for your time. God bless you. Amen. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Wow, what a great conversation. I love talking with Derwin. I'm so thankful that he took the time to be with us. This guy is incredible, and I can't encourage you highly enough, friend. If you're going to read Derwin's book, start with, I think, start with God Do You Hear Me. It's a book about prayer. It's outstanding. It's going to be on my shelf. I can't wait to get my signed copy from him. We're going to trade books here once I have some hardbacks of my new book that's coming out. And it's a, it's an incredible book. Using the Lord's Prayer as a template of just how to how to understand what prayer really is all about. It's it's phenomenal. It's a great book. All of his books that I've read so far have been really transformative, and I'm very grateful that we got this opportunity to introduce you to Derwin Gray. Uh, check him out. I put links in the show notes on uh, Substack to. Uh, his website and all of his books and his uh, evangelism linebacker video and all of that. But I just wanted to take a minute today to introduce you to this great story of the living and powerful hope that we can have in Jesus Christ and Derwin's story. I just can't find a better example of what your life can look like if you go all in with God. So friend, I want you to become healthier and feel better and be happier. And throughout season seven of the podcast here, all these hundred episodes, we've tried to point you to that, the power of using self-brain surgery to let, to let God really help you do what he intended to do when he designed your beautiful nervous system. And as Derwin said, your medulla oblongata and your cerebellum and all those parts are the communication center with how the Holy Spirit talks to you in your life. And the next season, 100 Doses of Hope, we're going to really get deep in the neuroscience and in the spirituality of what hope looks like when you learn how to change your mind, because that's how you change your life. And the good news is, my friend, 
you can always start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.